Welcome to Leadership Arts Review, a dynamic podcast about the art and science of leadership. Join us as we explore a different leadership book each episode. We will help you navigate all the theories and strategies out there and find the elements that work for you. We will share what we liked, what we learned, and what we recommend. I'm Nitya. I'm Alyssa. I'm Kate. With special guest Margaret Leahy. In The Four Agreements, New York Times bestselling author Don Miguel Ruiz reveals the source of self-limiting beliefs that rob us of joy and create needless suffering. Based on ancient Toltec wisdom, the Four Agreements offer a powerful code of conduct that can rapidly transform our lives to a new experience of freedom, true happiness, and love. All right, let's get started. I personally love this book, The Four Agreements. I've read it multiple times. Some of our listeners may have heard of it before. It's been around for over a decade. And so I want to start off by just asking this group, what stands out to you the most? What resonates with you about The Four Agreements? So I'll jump in because I also love this book. I decided when I came across the book a couple of years ago that it would be a lifelong project of mine to try to master the four agreements before I die. Now, the funny thing is, like, I fail every single day. Um, (laughs) The thing that I love about it is it's very simple. The four agreements are simple and very, very challenging. And what I find is that every day I kind of take one of them, depending on what my day is going to bring and what challenges I might be facing, I try to focus on one of those. For me, this book has just been really life-changing. I think of it like guardrails. It kind of keeps me on a path of who I want to be and how I want to be. I've had kind of a complicated relationship with this book. The first time I read it, it was sort of swirling around in communities where I was a little bit skeptical and everybody was referring to it. So I was skeptical when I read it the first time. And the fact that it's really simple in its presentation I didn't really give it a lot of time and thought and I read it really fast and it didn't stick with me. What did stick with me, I then brought into conversation with somebody who was like, don't talk to me about the four agreements. My ex-girlfriend weaponized that thing against me and I don't want to hear anything about it. And I realized that in fact, yeah, there are part of what bothered me was that people were using the four agreements to tell other people how to behave. Mm -hmm. And they were using it to say, you should be impeccable with your word. You should do your best. You're taking things personally. You're making assumptions. Stop it. And it wasn't until I read it again with a group where I was supposed to be actually getting wisdom from it. And so I went looking for the good in it. And I went, oh, there it is on like page 27. These are agreements you make with yourself. These are not things you do to other people. And I'm making up page 27, but I'm not making up the direct, explicit, this is not something you use against other people. And once I saw that on the text, I relaxed and I dug a little deeper. And now the first agreement, be impeccable with your word, is so powerful because it's not just tell the truth. It's don't say things that are going to come back and bite you in the butt. It's don't say things that are going to hurt other people. And it's don't lie to yourself. And that's the hardest one. Yeah. 
being impeccable with your word suggests that words have power because they do. And not only power against other people, but power against ourselves. What we say becomes what we believe and therefore what we lead with. And so I, I like that grounding in the fact that these are agreements with ourselves. The reason to be impeccable is not just so you don't offend other people. That's not the purpose of that agreement. It's because what you say is an indicator of who you are. And so choose how you want to show up through your words. Mm -hmm. yeah. Actually, that's what it is to be in integrity. We've covered a lot of different leadership books on this podcast, and the style of writing in this one stands out. Mm -hmm. Number one, for its simplicity, which we've touched on, but I should say simple, not easy. <laughs> the, the, the four agreements are simple, but not easy to do. And the writing also is very, very simple. It is written in such a way that pretty much anyone can understand there isn't leadership jargon as such. However, it is uh, written based on principles of Toltec wisdom, as we said in the intro. And so it does have that air of spirituality around it. I'm curious if there were other reactions to that um, before we explore that first agreement in a little more depth. What, what did people think of, of that theme in the book? I felt that at times it felt heavy. And what I realized because I listened to it, and it's not necessarily the easiest book to listen to just from a, a narration point of view, but I still liked it. But what I noticed after I went back and was going through the book itself was I actually just tended to let those parts of it filter out for me. And I had just really focused on the four agreements. And interestingly, what Kate said earlier about people weaponizing the book, it never occurred to me. To me, it was always about how how can I be better as a person? Where can I be better in relationship with myself and in relationship with others? And those are the pieces that I really took from it. I feel like it's a bit of a guidepost that I can kind of go back to and lean into. You know, he talks about gossiping and that. And sometimes, let's face it, it's just fun to gossip. But yet, <laughs> you don't necessarily feel good after you've gossiped. And it's things like that, right? It's just, I'm going into this challenging situation today, whether it's work or whatever. And, you know, how do I want to be? I want to make sure that I'm, you know, really holding to a particular agreement or sometimes all of them to keep them in mind. So I didn't find that that really impacted me in a negative way, the language in that. I suspect that the first time I read it, the language was something I bounced off of in terms of it. I actually bounced off of the whole book because of the language. And then when I was really actively going in looking to extract wisdom from it, I read the, the language very much as mythopoetic language. And I read it in kind of sort of dreamlike like level of I can be, let it be poetry and I can let it have that non-literal quality about it. And what I found interesting when I did that was actually the story about how we domesticate children and how generational bad habits of relationship are continually reinforced because of the way that we domesticate children. And, and domesticate is a word that actually is used for raising children and, and enculturating children. Um, and that landed for me reading this that way in a way that reading the theoretical pieces that talk about epigenetics never, ever landed. Yeah, it's important to say that underlying these four agreements is this foundational notion that the messages we receive as children, as part of this domestication, stick with us. And it takes a conscious effort and recontracting with ourselves through these four agreements to unlearn what was taught to us as children 
to undo some of that damage. And I don't think that this book purports to take the place of other types of coping, because I think as adults, we all have various ways of dealing with what we did as children or unlearn some of those lessons. But this book does distill them into four very accessible concepts, all of which often directly contradict what we were told as children. And it's surprisingly hard to unlearn some of these things as you read the examples. It feels feels resonant often to read them. And then as Margaret said earlier, to try to implement them in day to day life is challenging, you know. Um, so I, I want to, with that, dig a bit deeper into that first agreement, which we alluded to earlier, be impeccable with your word. As I was reading that chapter, it, it occurred to me that when we're kids, we receive messages, not just from those who raise us, but from educators from other children, from the media that tell us who we are and how we should be. And these have lasting impacts on us. And so in some ways, I see this first agreement be impeccable with your word as don't repeat that. Don't perpetuate that cycle. Think about what you're saying. And hopefully that creates this kind of positive reinforcement cycle such that if more people are impeccable with their word, we aren't sending messages that we don't mean to send and that we can't take back. Yeah. One of the things that I am really aware of as a parent is that I don't know which of the things that I say to my kids are going to land and be the one that they're telling tales about 30 years from now at the dinner table at <laughs> Christmas. Because the stories that I tell about the things that my mom and dad said, they don't remember saying them. And they changed my life because I held on to what they said. All of the conversation in the, the public eye talking about inclusion and diversity and microaggressions now. I mean, that's what a microaggression is, is it's one of these places where somebody's not impeccable with their word and it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's hard. It's so easy to say the quick thing or the habitual thing. So easy. And I love what he also adds to that, which is, don't hold it against those people who have said those things. They did the best they could. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. He also says, you will only receive a negative idea from someone else if your mind is fertile ground for that negative idea. So there are two sides to this. It is don't hold it against other people. They're just doing their best. And don't internalize it in your own mind to the point where it affects you more than it needs to. So there's a little bit of a depersonalization of interactions. And sometimes I think that this agreement can read a little bit like or, or ha runs the risk of reading a little bit like everyone is their own person don't listen to anything anybody else says you know be perfect all the time but i don't think that's what this is getting at it's be impeccable as in put thought and intentionality behind what you say and trust that other people are too but not so much that they control who you are or not so much so that their word has an effect on you for years to come because that's that's domestication or in the book that he calls it black magic actually <laughs> right is um you know someone casts a spell on you that language aside i think what he's getting at is you still have the power to not only be impeccable with your own word but your reaction to other people's words yeah one of the points that he makes is that it's possible to take all of the agreements and see them as digging deeper into that first agreement yes and that piece of don't take it personally is put some space between what other people say and how you react. Don't take it for granted that what they say 
is true just because they said it. Because if you've got that space in there, then you can actually look and say, do I actually think that about myself? If I do actually think about that about myself, then that has implications for what it means to do my best and be impeccable with my word. But if I actually don't think that that's true, then like I have the right to not take it on and let it just be out there in the space that they said it, but I didn't pick it up. Yeah, you have the choice to believe whatever is coming at you, whether it's from someone else or from your own head, which is fascinating because I'm reading this sentence and thinking, what? There's a sentence in, in this second agreement, which is don't take anything personally, that says even the opinions you have about yourself are not necessarily true. I remember reading the first time, well, of course, they're, they're what? They're my opinions about myself. How could they possibly not be true? But it's a reminder that they are opinions about ourselves and thoughts in our heads are a result of the compounding effect of the messages we've received over the years. And we have a choice whether to believe those or not. I'm curious, Kate, earlier you brought up inclusion work and microaggressions. And I'm curious where, where you or anyone would think, don't take it personally fits in with that, with creating an inclusive environment, which is a big part of what leaders are tasked with doing. Leaders are also very much responsible for the culture that's created on their teams, a healthy, respectful culture of communication. And of course, there's a lot of dialogue about that now in the world that we live in. And so where does don't take it personally come in there? Because that's one that I see is being potentially very easily weaponized by people who have hateful opinions, for instance, or, or want to marginalize or exclude people. People just say, well, don't take it personally. Um, where do you think this wisdom fits in with, with that work? So I think that I think that your instinct about this being weaponizable, I think this is the one I've seen weaponized the most. Right. Um, and I think it's because it's so easy to be hurtful with your words and not want to take responsibility for it and to then be like, you're so sensitive, you're taking it personally, that's not what I meant, and to not take responsibility for the impact that your actions actually had. And so in that regard, that sort of turning it on somebody and saying, don't take it personally is actually not being impeccable with your word. It's actually not taking responsibility for the fact that what you said had impact. So that's one right. side of it. The other side of it, which I think is the more interesting side, is what if you're practicing these four agreements and you're working on not taking things personally and there is hateful speech by somebody else? Like, what do you do with that? And I think that to be impeccable with my word, what I need to do is actually be kind to the person and name the problem. Yeah. And if I'm taking it personally, then I'm going to get defensive and I'm going to react and I'm actually going to not be clean with how I name the problem. Yeah, you have to name the problem in such a way that it is in service of learning, in service of a two-way dialogue that hopefully leads to some kind of a productive outcome or at least some reflection. But you can't do that if you are in a reactive state. All right, I want to talk about the third agreement here. We have mentioned the first two already, be impeccable with your word and don't take anything personally. The third agreement here, and they're all linked as you're already noticing, I'm sure. The third one here is don't make assumptions. And frankly, let me just come out and say this one is the hardest one for me. They're all pretty challenging and they all work in, in tandem, but don't make assumptions is really, really hard. <laughs> we can't read others' minds, but sometimes we think we have the answer and we don't. I'm also struck by the application to leadership work, which is that leaders often don't have all the information and have to make decisions without all the information. And so assumptions are happening left and right. And I loved how this chapter talked about some of the damaging effects of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that is sort of where this comes in terms of the lifelong practice is human 
beings are energy conserving machines and assumptions save a lot of energy. And so it takes energy to question what it is that we believe, to question these habits that we have. Like it's actual glucose consumption kind of level of energy. I think it's it's real brain work and it's valuable. I think for me, the thing is it's much easier to use this for me if I'm getting in trouble in a conversation and things seem to be miscommunicating and going, okay, am I making assumptions? What, what assumptions am I making? What am I not paying attention to that I need to be paying attention to that makes sense of this? And I find that it's helpful for me to think about it before I engage in an interaction with somebody where I'm going, I know that I have a propensity to make assumptions. You know, we can all take a story so far down the road and be so far off track. So for me, it's a way to kind of pull myself back and say, all right, at what point am I kind of leaving the road here, right? And and then kind of pull it back to how do I want to be in that conversation? And, you know, what's, I don't want to say fair, but how do I want to show up in a conversation cleanly and lead toward a productive outcome because I am not jumping ahead and and with those assumptions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other place in which don't make assumptions is incredibly useful is for those who are wanting to step into their personal leadership, but something is holding them back. Fear, anxiety. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we don't send that email or go up to the person and introduce ourselves or apply for the job or share the feedback in the meeting because we think, well, it's probably not going to be received well, or well, I'm probably going to be rejected, or well, they'll probably think less of me. And the truth is, as it says in the book, you don't know what they're going to say, first of all. And and before anyone can reject you, by holding back, you've rejected yourself. Mm-hmm. And and that is the the danger of making assumptions in that personal leadership space is is step in, uh, try it. I'm, I'm reminded of our discussion on say what you mean, <laughs> choose what you're trying to say and articulate it and leave the ball in the other person's court for them to, to say what they're going to say, but don't decide for them that what you're saying has no value. I think one of the assumptions that we often make that holds us back uh, in difficult conversations is we don't trust that they can handle what we're going to say. Yes, that's so true. So how do we hold them as a person? Right. If we don't trust that they can handle it, we're holding them as weak and less competent. Mm -hmm. Okay. And rounding us out in the four agreements is always do your best. And I like that because the last two agreements were don'ts. Don't take it personally and don't make assumptions. But this one is always do your best. I think the important thing about this one is it's, it's your best, which is subjective, which is different day to day, sometimes minute to minute. Um, I, I'd love to hear some thoughts on 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 um, on doing your best and what you got from this chapter. The thing, one of the things that I really loved about this was it's your best on any given day, as you said, Nithya, and it kind of gives you permission to not hold yourself to a standard that sometimes you just can't meet, right? If you are mindful of always doing your best in any interaction and on any given day, you know, your best is what your best is. And the other thing that I like, he talks about the first agreement being the most important because it sort of encompasses all the other ones. But the fourth agreement allows the first three 
to become more deeply ingrained habits. So I thought that was a really a nice way to think about them, that if you're always doing your best, then you'll be mindful of being impeccable with your word and not taking things personally and not making assumptions. And that's what kind of creates that habit then, which makes it just a part of your everyday life. Yeah. In other words, it takes the pressure off a little bit that mm -hmm. if on a certain day you do take something personally, or you're not particularly impeccable right. with your word, or you made an assumption and messed something up, it's okay. You did your best that day. You get a do-over, but be intentional about that rather mm -hmm. than going on autopilot. Say, okay, it's time for me to reground myself in these agreements and do my best again. Right. Yeah. I have over the last five or six years worked with a lot of people who have beliefs that don't give them permission to not be perfect and who had instilled in them that doing their best on any given day was actually doing the best they were ever capable of every day. And when they see lists of the four agreements without the book, they are like, that is not somewhere I'm going to go because <laughs> I have had that instruction to do my best as attacking me for doing my best on the days that my best was not good enough. Yeah. And, you know, I know as a parent, I have had times where my kids have bad days and I'm like exhorting them to try and do better. And then they come down sick and I realize that they were actually sick. They just hadn't displayed the symptoms yet. And then I feel bad because I haven't actually acknowledged that they were where they were on the day that they were where they were. And so that piece is really important for a lot of high achievers and people who have high standards for themselves and who have shot for sort of perfect in various contexts. On the other hand, I know plenty of people who are like, oh, that's good enough for now. And do your best it is actually a nudge. Like, is that actually your best? Yeah. Is that like it? Are you actually happy with yourself? If you put so little effort into that, one of the questions that a talk I went to on helping children with perfectionism this summer, and by went to, I went to, I mean, I, you know, turned on Zoom and I showed up in the meeting. The question that was suggested was, have you given this thing, whatever it is, as much energy as it deserves? So for me, these questions about how much energy something is entitled to, it's really important to be clean with it to actually interrogate it about how much is the right amount, how much is being impeccable with your word, honoring your limitations, and acknowledging your skills. The piece that I think is easy to miss in this sentence that I want to land on just once before I get off my soapbox <laughs> is it's always do your best. Yeah, It's actually what are you doing? It's actually in your behavior that you measure whether you're meeting this or not. Yes, because otherwise they're just thoughts and intentions and desires as opposed to taking steps forward, right? It's not always be your best or think your best, imagine your best, it's do. Yeah, thanks for highlighting that. Talk is cheap and time will tell. I had a good friend that always said that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I think what I like overall about these four is that there is an emphasis on the fact that these are in our control to adopt, work into our consciousness, and thereby unlearn certain things and learn new things. There's a sentence in here I want to call out, which is, the freedom we seek is to use our own mind and body to live our own life instead of the life of the belief system. So anyone listening who feels like this is the way it's always been, or this is what I've always been taught, or this is just how I am, I suppose this is how I show up. 
this book is a reminder that a lot of the things we see as fixed concrete things are just the things somebody told us once and we have the power to rework that in our own mind and take more ownership of the way we respond to things whether that be knowing that that feedback coming at us is can be useful if we choose to adopt it and listen to it but ultimately it's an expression of someone's opinion and there's so many other such examples that create that I think healthy distance for us not to uh, make ourselves miserable yeah this thing about feedback there's a story that comes up for me over and over again about that gap between taking something personally and taking it on and taking ownership versus listening and having a conversation with yourself about what you've heard. And it's from the writer Neil Gaiman when talking about editing and getting feedback on manuscripts said in some context, and I'm going to paraphrase incredibly broadly, if somebody tells you there's a problem in your manuscript, they're right. And if they tell you how to solve it, they're probably wrong. Hmm. And when he goes on to explain why he means that if they tell you there's a problem with your manuscript they're right because the goal of your manuscript is to take them through a journey that they're so involved in that they don't notice the writing and if they've noticed the writing enough to say something there's a problem in your manuscript because you haven't achieved the impact on your reader that you were trying to because they got hung up on it yeah and they're going to try and be helpful and tell you what would have worked better and that is probably wrong And at the very least, it could be a place where you have choice whether to take that in or do your own thing. It might be pointing in a very useful direction. It might even be brilliant. And probably they went in a direction that wasn't where you intended. And that's part of the hiccup about how they got distracted. So with that said, I'm curious then for anyone considering whether to read this book to help them grow their own leadership, where would you all say is the the biggest application for leaders or aspiring leaders from these four agreements? I mean, I think the place that I land is, for me, it is really easy to see all of the agreements as a form of being impeccable with your word. And as a leader, you're trying to influence people. And as a leader, you are more likely to influence people in a way that makes them feel good about following you if you are in integrity with yourself and they know they can trust you. I think that being impeccable with your word is part of what gives leaders presence. It's part of what builds trust. I think it builds healthy relationships relationships with your reports or followers, you know, whatever language you want to use, I think it makes you trustworthy. And I I would add to that, Kate, that a big piece is thinking about your impact of your words and your actions on others. So not just your words, but, you know, from a leader perspective, you know, sometimes you're you're so, a leader is so driven toward an outcome that they forget everything in between. Yeah. It's so important to remember that these are people, most of them probably want to achieve the same goal and how you speak to them, how what your impact is, is so important. You know, the impact of your words is so important on people and and not just blurting out things and saying, you know, after it's, oh, I was having a bad day. It's done. You know, as you said earlier, Nithya, right in the beginning, words matter. I mean, it's just that simple. Words matter. Yes, they do. And leaders are just people too. And this attachment to outcomes and, you know, whatever it takes to get to the outcome. <laughs> ends justify the means. I mean, honestly, I think 
like business cultural norms can sometimes be kind of Machiavellian, to be very honest. As long as you hit the numbers, as long as you get to the thing, that's what we're going to honor and reward. And I think, as you rightly said, Margaret, this book looks at the process of getting there, how you see others and how you importantly see yourself as you're getting there. Are you being kind and compassionate to yourself? Are you taking the risks that you want to be taking? And are you holding on to things that you don't need to be holding on to? Because if we are holding on to stuff, whether from our past or childhood or, or anything else, then it's holding us back from that outcome, which I think a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I think people think outcomes, they think dollars and meetings and, and all the rest of it. But it's mindsets that hold us back more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about the pressure in leadership of needing to convey a sense of competence uh, when things are rocky, a sense of confidence. And there can be so much pressure to look like you know all the answers and to be at your potential best every day. There's something really powerful about being honest with yourself about okay, today I'm having a rough day and I am aware of the dynamics of what's going on in the organization today. And so for the sake of the organization, because I care, I'm going to engage in a way that is leaning on where I do have confidence, that is leaning on what I do know. If it starts from that place of, okay, I know I'm not having the best day and I know I've got some worries. It's a very different impact that it has on you as a leader and therefore on the people who you are talking to then if you just pretend that everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think pretending everything's fine never never got us very far, did it? And I don't any- know what you're talking about. <laughs> Right. And if anything, the the global pandemic that we are all still living in and the uncertainty caused by many other global events is almost like prime territory for leaders to practice these skills. I mean, this this is exactly the time to be impeccable with your word and notice Mm -hmm. your impact, to not make assumptions because everyone's life during a time like this is filled with its own share of struggles, to not take things personally because everyone's having having their day and their thoughts and you can't control those. And to just keep doing your best because that's all you can do. To me, this time is a stark reminder of how important these four are. And now to put this book on the tree of leadership wisdom. Is this book at the roots, foundational knowledge? Is it at the trunk, main body of practical wisdom? Or is it branches and specific tools? To me, this book is a branch book and it may not immediately strike everyone as your typical branch book because the four agreements aren't specific tactical diagrams or things you can say, but they are tactical in the sense that you can hold on to them and start practicing them right away. So while it has roots and trunk elements and that it makes me rethink how I want to show up, at the end of the day, there are four ideas in this book and they are all things that you can remind yourself of day to day. And they can probably also tie pretty closely to roots and trunk concepts in some of our other books. So for me, it's a branch book. It's right where the branch comes off the trunk because that's where I was vacillating back and forth. I I sort of more toward a branch, but it does offer a framework. But for me, I think it's probably a branch. And then there's some really cool things in there that uh, um, might be little leaves falling around. But I definitely don't see it as a root and not 100% of a um, a trunk though either. I'm in that branches category as well. For me, it really boils down to this one idea about impact 
impeccability of the word. That's the piece that I come back to over and over. And the rest feels like it's decoration on that in the way that it landed for me. And it does, as you said, Nithya, have resonance with all sorts of other books that we've talked about in the podcast. But this is a very specific piece of it. This is the piece that's my relationship with myself. Yeah, Cool. And now it's think away time. Each of our hosts will leave us with one thought, idea, question, or practice to think about and take away. My think away has to do with a very compelling and very provocative sentence that Don Miguel Ruiz writes near the end of the book, which is, I want you to forget everything you have learned in your whole life. And if that strikes you as a really strong statement, it is. But as my think away, I want to offer to listeners, what is something that you have believed about yourself, your abilities, about your leadership, or about other people that you've held true your whole life? And I want to ask you to ask yourself, is that true? Challenge your own assumptions and consider a new story, a new narrative there. One of the things the author says is that as children, we are not afraid of the future or ashamed of the past. Our normal human tendency is to enjoy life, to play, to explore, to be happy, and to love. And so my think away to our readers would be, where in your life can you call up that child part of you that would bring more happiness to your life? More simply put, where can you find play? My think away is sort of in that hard work kind of space. Where can you hold a little lightly the feelings you feel and the thoughts you think and let there be room for doubt? This was Leadership Arts Review. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. You can find more information and additional resources on our website at podcast.leadershipartsreview.com and continue the conversation by following us on Twitter under leadership underscore arts and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn under Leadership Arts Review. Leadership Arts Review is a 4 Impala production. Music adapted by 4 Impala from Nathaniel Wyvern's Sanctuary of the Sky Gods under license.